Captain. Let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19, all new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Nestle in for this next one because it is a jaw dropper. In fact, I... uh, I had to read it three times because I was just like, what did I miss? Because it's just crazy. I mean, it's a, it's a hell of an insider's view of how harm reduction allegedly works at the uh, South Riverdale Community Center. Anyway, and this expose is by a former staff member who worked there, who went to work there because she felt she could help people, you know, that her former um, experience with drugs uh, and the ability uh, to talk about it and recover, you know, her experience would help. And then, of course, Carolina Hubner Macarat was murdered. And even though she had left the clinic, she was utterly shocked, shocked that this happened because she had gone to management several times with concerns about what she was seeing at this clinic where she alleges, you know, she had to battle drug dealers that were always around the clinic. Colleagues openly using drugs at work and with clients Clients stealing things from the community, selling them at the site, staff regularly, regularly asking clients to steal liquor from the liquor store. I mean, there's so much more. <laughs> it's not good. And so I'll let uh, her explain it. Let me bring in Derek Finkel, who, of course, uh, lives next to the harm reduction site. He has been reporting the concerns and has penned this explosive um, layout for the National Post. But I want to talk to Tara first because she's the former staff member at the South Riverdale Community Health Center who bravely came forward as a whistleblower in this. Thanks, both of you, uh, for joining us this morning. Good morning. Hi, Alex. Yeah. Hi there. Good morning. All right. So I want to start, um, Derek, you've got a lot of information. Certainly, I know you've been working on this uh, for a long time, and, and certainly your experience as a journalist comes into play here. But I want to, I want to talk to Tara just uh, to kind of cap us and start us off to paint a picture of this. Um, you know, Tara, you came forward. I'm sure it hasn't been easy. And, and what you describe and allege against this particular clinic is pretty jaw-dropping. And just so our listeners understand, you you come from a background of surviving domestic abuse, your own challenges with, with drugs, uh, victim of sex trafficking. So you went to work at this clinic because you truly believed it would help. And what, what did you see that, that you knew things were a little off? Um, well, you know, when you first start working there, like I did, I started in counterfeit and it wasn't necessarily because I wasn't qualified to have any of the other roles um, because, you know, I do have some education in this field. It was, that was my in. They, there was a job opening and I just wanted to get my foot in the door. Um, there's a there's a very huge, big divide between harm reduction and kind of the rest of the center. Um, and I noticed that right out of the gate. I really did, wasn't familiar with any of the work um, going on in the rest of the building other than what I was doing at Counterfeit. And that changed for me once I um, was hired into a full-time permanent role as a client support worker. That's where I really started to see um, the different things because I had to attend different meetings, some with management. I you know, had a different level of responsibility. And things were just not 
jiving. Things were not making sense. And the way that I came into this work and very authentically did not have support through the majority of the years of my drug use. Um, I had, a, you know, an abusive partner who was threatening basically blackmail of my children. Um, you know, if I went to police or I went any, any time I would try and get myself better, it was a threat to him. And that's the way domestic abuse works. Mm-hmm. But then on the other side, I also had who is still in denial of the drug use that we experienced myself and my brother growing up, um, you know, and, and are still very much in the dark of it all. And, and struggling through these two sides and making it through, um, you know, pretty much on my own. I didn't really feel the need for other drug users if I could assist and make their journey a little bit smoother because it is a journey. Yeah. It's a lifelong journey. It's not something you graduate from and there's a big party. You struggle the rest of your life with it. And as I'm seeing, you know, because of this article, it's the first thing that people will throw dirt at you with and, and try and bring you back down around your drug use, right? right. Um, was just as a peer worker, there wasn't the support. Right. There wasn't the support. Um, there wasn't the support when people entered in, into peer work and had their drug use at a certain level. The whole point to to me of peer work is to have people come in in a position where they have the room to make the mistakes because they have the proper support around them. Right. Until they can either get their drug use, you know, to a level where they can actually work and sustain both. And some people do. Right. Um, but the support isn't there. Let and me talk. So when the drug use starts to take over. There's no one there to catch it. Let me um, kind of jump forward to when you're in, in this clinic working, because obviously I think a lot of people think these places are to help people maybe get them on the right track, get them off drugs. But you report um, that, you know, staff have a, a lived experience and, and that fellow peers were actually living that experience. You, you report managers using crack on the job, rolling joints out in public, despite the fact that kids and parents were going into this facility for doctor's appointments. And you talk about 80% of clients being uh, using fentanyl bought from the dealers that are harassing people like you and then stealing and selling and that by not doing drugs yourself, you became a target or a threat to your colleagues. How how does that, how does that, that's not how most people think these things are supposed to work. Well, because they, I wasn't, I wasn't engaging in this behavior. I wasn't uh, doing a lot of the things that some of my other colleagues were doing. And so therefore I must somehow be, working with police or working with the management or, you know, I'm, I'm crossing that line somehow when none of that was true at all. Um, there was just, there was very, very little support. Um, and when I would take concerns forward, and of course my concerns in the earlier days were like, you know, we have people here as peers that are supposed to be getting support so that they can maybe move on to, you know, more permanent type work or different positions elsewhere in community. And what I'm seeing are people coming in with their drug use at a certain level and it escalating to a point where they no longer can work. Mm-hmm. And that is solely because they took on this position and they've been around it and exposed to it in not the capacity that it was supposed to be for. Well, it sounds, it sounds like a massive party was going on, right? I mean, you talk about staff passing out in the bathrooms, which is just nuts. Uh, drug users coming in and using in the community, police not 
you know, told to come near. You talk about, um, you know, the, the drug dealers would bring their drugs and the staff would test them. I mean, all these things are, are, are being brought to your boss by you and, and no one's saying like, okay, we've got a problem. No, they actually wanted us to work with the dealers. They wanted us to have the dealers because I think the understanding and the, or the concept in their minds were if we're making sure that the dealers are giving out drugs that aren't going to kill our clients, then it's better all around. Um, I'm not somebody that can work with dealers. Uh, that's not well, just... Well, I don't think anyone hard. would expect you to. I mean, it's just crazy that that criminal element would be allowed around vulnerable people Um and again, most people who I think are open to harm reduction uh, think it's for good, right? They think it's for good. So I think to hear this, um, you know, is alarming. Yeah, and I, and I don't also want to paint a picture that harm reduction everywhere doesn't work. I think it is a wonderful tool when people are given the proper support and, and the proper, you know, places to move on to. When, unfortunately... South Riverdale took the role that they took and that support dropped off and there was nowhere to go. And the management, upper management, you know, um, protected themselves very well that there were layers to get to them, layers upon layers to get to them. You couldn't just, you know, go upstairs and knock on one of the doors and be like, hey, there's, there's this issue you need to address. There were all these hoops that you had to go through, starting with your own supervisor and then their manager and then their manager. And there were so many roadblocks along the way that it just became exhausting dealing with things that I thought should just be addressed yeah. because it shouldn't be happening. And my love for the drug using community, my love and admiration for the peer workers that are out there still stands. There are some amazing people doing this work that are also victims of South Riverdale. And I want to be very clear about that. A lot of people that start in this work want to get better they want and not necessarily drugs completely out of their lives and i know a lot of people that drug use and and sustain it in a in a level that they can work and be productive members of society but when it starts to to turn that corner and you're having people come in that are presenting in one way and then through the month of them working with us are getting sicker and sicker and sicker and nobody is doing anything about it right. is where I had a problem. We are speaking with uh, Tara, a former staff member at the South Riverdale Community Health Centre now, turned whistleblower, and Derek Finkel, who lives beside this particular clinic and wrote about what she had to say. And one of the things, Tara, you say is um, that no one had to die because the, the, the warnings had been so significant and no, numerous that no one should have died. And so was the killing of this mother of two why you spoke out? Well, I spoke out because I, when I left South Riverdale, I, I had no intentions of going back. And it was very evident to me that they were pushing me out um, for the work that I was doing. I just expected that some of my colleagues that were still there seeing our own community being hurt by management would speak up. People in, in higher positions than myself. Um, when this murder happened, because that's exactly what it is, um, and I and the lack of response, and I saw in the media um, the backpedaling of South Riverdale and the almost hiding again in the sand mm -hmm. and renouncing any responsibility. That's when I knew, like this could not happen any any longer. My daughter woke up on Saturday morning 
um, to the news of the shooting and came into my room and literally said to me, that would have been you if you were still there. What they meant by that was myself and Kalila, who unfortunately is the young woman now um, charged, um, would be outside sometimes for hours uh, dealing with the overflow from Keep Six that would take on outside into the park at. It was almost like an extension of Keep Six. And we would, you know, be breaking up fights and, and doing all of those kinds of things. And Kalila would typically go in and stay with our clients and I would be the one to go and deal with the dealer. And so that day would have been no different than any other day. And I would have been the one dealing with the dealer. So I knew in that moment why I was no longer there and just have carried it that this woman did not need to die. And it was absolutely preventable. Not only if South Riverdale had taken the knowledge and the information they had, but if Toronto police 55 division in particular had also listened to what my clients had told them and to what I had spoken to them about at least a year and a half prior to this happening. I just want to um, mention that, that South Riverdale Community Health Centre has responded, given a generic, um, you know, public-private information kind of spin and uh, saying that um, any kind of unprofessional behavior should be reported to the center's management. So let me bring you into this conversation, Derek. It's a very long piece. It's a very detailed piece. Um, it has been looked into. And so when you hear all this, and you've been living beside this clinic, so none of this is new to you. Um, and when you hear, you know, the reports from Tara where, you know, the, the community members bringing stories or concerns about dirty needles in the park, you know, were mocked by staff called, you know, don't let the NIMBYs have a bird. You know, it's your community. What was your reaction to that? Well, you know, one of my uh, neighbors put it kind of aptly um, after this story came out yesterday. Um, and he, he said, you know, it's, it's, the story is shocking, but it's not surprising. And I guess the reason that my neighbor said that is that, you know, in some ways ter- what Tara was dealing with and what we as neighbors were dealing with was kind of running parallel. Um, we were in, in this, in a sense, dealing with the same thing, which is the mismanagement of, of the center. And, you know, as Tara was, you know, engaged in her struggles, um, we were engaged in a similar struggle, um, you know, about what was going on around the center. I mean, Tara was to some extent dealing with what was going on around the center, but it was, you know, a little, she, she had a lot more insight into what was going on inside the center. And so in the same way, you know, when, when Tara was just talking about the layers of, you know, of the layers she had to get to, to get to, um, you know, the, the people at the top who could, who could presumably do something about it, we were engaged in the same struggle. You know, I mean, I, I, I had like a, a, an hour and a half meeting with the woman who was the director of the supervised injection site. Um, and, uh, you know, but, but my concerns like, well, a, she ignored me and never got back to me. And I wasn't the only one that that happened to, Uh, but you know, like the, the concern, the, the, those, those concerns were never elevated to, you know, the VP or the CEO of the center. And, and so, you know, just to wrap, wrap it up, I would just say that based on what we as a neighborhood experienced and based on what, Tara and her fellow employees and even the clients were experiencing, um, 
I think it's very clear that A, the structure of the management and B, the management itself is, is, is did nobody any, uh, you know, service. Yeah. And frankly, I think um, as far as this neighborhood is concerned, we, we, we want to see wholesale change yeah. um, at this place. I mean, we don't believe many of us don't believe that there should be a supervised injection site in this neighborhood because of its proximity to schools and daycares and so forth. And certainly but, knowing this, yeah. I, I'm going yeah, yeah. to hit the clock, which is always my, my biggest yeah. battle. I know you yeah. have a meeting with the Premier Monday. I certainly hope they've read this piece because it is under investigation. Tara, do you have any regrets stepping forward? Has there been a big backlash? Uh, yeah, there has been. There has been backlash. Do I have regrets? Absolutely not, because I... I survived this horrific uh, disease, I'm still surviving, and I have the voice to speak for colleagues of mine that are no longer here yeah. that directly took their lives, one of them in particular, because of the treatment and the lack of response when he also went for assistance. Mm. So I'm in a place of privilege yeah. to, to speak about these things, and I will continue to speak about these things. And you know, the pushback that I've had, my response to my colleagues, who are pushing back, I would say, I hope that you can live with the silence that you are creating, knowing what they are doing to our people. It's a hell of a, a story. Uh, good job, Derek. I will anticipate hearing the results of your meeting on Monday. I certainly hope the uh, investigators of this are listening to you, Tara, and I so appreciate you coming forward and, uh, and talking to us. I appreciate it, and I hope we'll talk again. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you, Derek. All right, so we're going to wait and see what happens on Monday. There's no way that the province can ignore this. I'm sorry, because I think a lot of people are listening to this going, okay, is this happening elsewhere? Where's, is this the only harm reduction that this is happening at?